from the campus of Stanford University and on location. This is the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast, featuring in-depth, one-on-one interviews with purpose-driven entrepreneurs and high-performance game changers committed to extraordinary ideas, preeminence, and multi-generational success. Our radio show and podcast illuminates the struggles, breakthroughs, and exceptional outcomes these game changers bring to industries, organizations, and lives. Hosted by Tom Dioro, principal of Podfather Media. Thank you, Tatum. For our guest today, let's welcome Alex Mashinsky. Alex is an entrepreneur who has founded several notable technology firms in the United States. He founded Air Arbinet in 1996 as a commodity exchange for telecommunication companies to trade unused long-distance minutes. Alex's other company, VoiceSmart, was one of the first firms to offer telecommunication switches to handle ordinary voice as well as voice over IP call routing. He's currently founder and CEO of Celsius Network. Celsius Network offers their customers the ability to earn decent interest on Bitcoin, gold, and other cryptocurrency, get a cash loan using crypto as collateral, and make payments on the blockchain. For more information, feel free to visit Celsius.network. Again, Celsius.network. Alex, thank you very much. I'm honored and uh, excited to uh, have you on uh, the Entrepreneur Show. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Great to be here. Great to be here for sure. Alex, uh, as you said before when we were in the green room, is we like to start off with a quote or a prayer or a mantra that you, you kind of think about in your head, maybe not daily, but it comes to your mind for dealing with either life's challenges or even its joys that uh, you can share with your audience today. I'll give you two. So I, I use a line that says, uh, the greatest risk is not taking one. And another one that uh, says that the future is here. You just need to leave the past behind. So touching on that, the future is here. You just need to leave the past behind. Why does that mean so much to you? Because it's so easy for us. You know, we're, we're creatures of comfort. It's so easy for us to get used to the past, get used to how things were yesterday or just five minutes ago, right? We, we're looking for stability. We're looking for comfort. But uh, this entire universe is, you know, is not stable. It is not. It's, it's uh, entropy is trying to break everything down. And you constantly have to build and rebuild just to stay in the same place. So if you're just uh, resting on your laurels, and obviously the metaphor here is for your life and for achieving things and thriving for bigger things every day versus just resting on your laurels. Uh, you know, I, I believe in uh, pushing the envelope every day, extracting as much, being the best you can be every day. Yeah. If you can share with us again, personally, what motivates you to be so uh, conscious and so aware and so um, just looking for fulfillment? I would say fulfillment is probably the best answer. I don't know if you're, you agree, but I think there's a sense of fulfillment that you're either looking to achieve or, or like to achieve. I think um, all of us are unique creatures. I mean, uh, nature is has seven and a half billion experiments going on at the same time. There isn't a, a human on this planet. Is Even two twins are not the same person. So each one of us is, is this unique creature that's never going to be created again. And we're all best in the world at one thing, right? Each one of us is a world champion at something. We just don't get the opportunity to discover what that is. I happened to land on that in my 20s, figuring out what am I good at. And uh, I try to practice that every day. And, and uh, you know, again, most, I would say probably 70% of the population out there is very unhappy with their job, is maybe unhappy with their situation. And it's because 
they did not find that one thing that they can better than anyone else because happiness kind of like derives from that right you have to be happy with yourself and and you achieve that by finding that chi finding the the one thing you can do better than anyone yep yeah, now with that said well my opinion is that fear is a major factor in why that 70% are unhappy with their lives. It's because they're afraid, even if they tap into what they're truly gifted with and what they truly find joy in expressing, that there's a fear in moving forward. What's your thought on that? Well, I, I would blame actually our society more than anything else. I mean, uh, if you look at our schools and education system and everything else, and they force you to be put into a box, right? And you're either in the engineering production line or you're in the lawyer production line or you're in the accountant production line, right? So, uh, so you, you are expected to pick the rest of your life in your early 20s where you don't really know much about yourself. So in the U.S., it's much better than overseas because in the U.S., changing your career five times is a badge of honor where overseas it's considered a heretic. But uh, even here in the U.S., see, most people are already stuck in this or that track. Okay, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm not going to switch to engineering. I'm not going to switch to something completely different, right? So, so most people are, I think, are comfortable where they are, but they know internally that this is not their mission. They're not doing what they were put on this earth to do. And, and that's really the challenge with our society, which needs to fill all of these empty spots in the corporate ladder or in the society and everything else where people just fall into the pressure from their family or the pressure from their friends to not do what they're really good at. On that segue, your t-shirt I love, banks are not your friends. I understand that, not at a uh, at the bone marrow level that you do, but can you share, you know, why is it that you've and how you've experienced that, that uh, that's that's true? Look, I, I'm an immigrant. I came to this country with nothing. Uh, I was lucky enough to start eight different startups as a founder, raise a billion dollars. Like I live the American dream, right? And I have six kids at home, and they, I can tell you that they don't have the same opportunities I had just 30 years ago when I came to this country. So, and a lot of it has to do with the concentration of power, the concentration of wealth, which is really governed by the banking system. I mean, one of the biggest problems is the, again, the lack of redistribution of wealth. And again, you're in, uh, in the valley, right, in San yes. Francisco, the land of opportunities. This is, if, if there was a center of opportunities in the United States, it's right where you are. And uh, anyone who attends Stanford gets an extra pass. You were probably born with one, but when you go to Stanford, you get a second one. Uh, you get to go to Sand Hill Road and just say, hey, I'm studying in Stanford and people listen to you very carefully because they hope you're the next Sergey Brin or or the next uh, Elon Musk or any of the other guys that came from that school. So, But overall, the United States, the opportunity to break out of the mold and create something amazing is getting harder and harder and harder. And... Uh, what I decided to do is really build the future that I believe in, uh, which is supposed to give everybody equal opportunity and bypass the whole banking system, the whole finance system that is there to extract as much as possible out of most of us and deliver it to the few who are the shareholders, who are the sitting on most of the wealth in the United States. I'll tell you personally, that hurts 
what you said is true, especially when you, you talked about that your, uh, your kids are not going to have the same opportunity that you had, say, 30 years ago, just because of the way the system is now. How much is your decision to go ahead with even Celsius affected by the fact that you're not just looking at your children, but other children not having that same opportunity if you don't do something significant? Yes. So again, I was extremely lucky to have you know, build two unicorns, companies worth over a billion dollars. Back when a billion dollars was a real billion dollars, you know, like <laughs> in uh, in the mid 2000s and tried retirement really didn't work for me. You know, like uh, I don't have an off switch. So retirement is like punishment. I'd rather sit in jail than be in retirement. Uh, so I said, okay, like what I'm going to swing it, you know, at the plate one more time. What is it going to be? It's got to be like you mentioned, the uh, Voice Smart and Arbanet, these I created Voice of IP there, right? The first switch, mm-hmm. the first implementation on the public internet back in '95, uh, and today four and a half billion people use it every day, right? So it's uh, it's still the probably the largest decentralized service on the internet because everything else got centralized, like Facebook centralized all of our connections, right? Uh, Google centralized uh, some other services, yes. but. Uh, no one really owns voice of IP. And uh, so I think when you look at, uh, okay, what can you do, right? What can you do for seven and a half billion people? Uh, financial independence or financial freedom is something that uh, most of us, they don't teach you that in school or in college, right? You don't, there's no class on how do you become financially independent and not have to work for a living? <laughs> there's no such class. <laughs> Because there's all the classes are the opposite of that. All the classes are, how do you become a doctor and work uh, until you're 65 or 70, right? How do you become a lawyer and work until you're 70 or 80, right? So, and so on. So, our society wouldn't function and if everybody was uh, like Alex Mashinsky, right? So, so, I know I'm a unique breed. I'm an exception. But I can look at things from a different angle than most and, in this case, create a financial system that is acting in the best interest of its participants. And that's not what we have, unfortunately, right now in the United States of America. So the mantra, the mantra behind Celsius Network is do well only after you did good. You must do good first, and then you will do well. Excellent. Excellent. This is excellent, Alex. You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and podcast on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Alex Mashinsky, founder and CEO of Celsius Network. For more information, feel free to visit Celsius.network. Again, Celsius.network. Alex, again, referring to uh, how people go to school, they're taught to basically work with or for someone else. There's a high level of conformity right now. So people are trained, in my experience, to be conformist, basically. You're going the other way, meaning at least provide an opportunity for more people to have the option to choose not to be a conformist. Where does that come from? I mean, you've shared a lot of it, but there's a you have to be very powerfully motivated and incentivized from a very heart level, not from a mind or money, but it has to come from your heart. Well, a lot of it is, is having the self-confidence to not follow the mold, right? Uh, and I think, uh, like Peter Thiel, I think is also a graduate of Stanford. Yes. He gives people $100,000 not to go to Stanford, right? <laughs> to, to yes. Create a startup. So it's not like I'm the only one thinking that way. But you have to find your north and you have to understand 
and believe in yourself that you really know what is that one thing that you can do better than anybody else. Sometimes you stumble over it and you happen to be at the right place at the right time or have the right roommate in college and they recruit you to come and work for a great company or whatever. So sometimes it's opportunistic and sometimes you can actually distill down who you are to the essence of why you've been put on this planet. So, I mean, I always joke that I live by myself in the future, you know, and, and uh, I try to create stuff and hope that everybody will come and join me. But uh, Voice of IP, I can tell you, Voice of IP in, back in 94 when I wrote the patents did not sound like a very promising idea because asynchronous transfer mode, ATM, or other technologies, frame relay, even voice over Ethernet sounded much, much better than voice over IP or TCP IP. So it happens that, again, my vision of what the internet is going to look like 5, 10, 20 years forward came true, and everybody's using that version of technology that, uh, that we conceived. Or I, you know, I worked with many other people on it uh, back in the early 90s. Uh, but uh, many times you can have a perfect vision. It just doesn't come to life, you know. Uh, I'll give you another example. I, in 2003, I came up with this concept that I saw Compaq had this amazing phone that looked just like the iPhone with a touchscreen. Didn't have a keyboard. It was the first phone that did not have a keyboard. And I immediately saw this vision that if you needed transportation, you can order anything you wanted on that device and the GPS would work and everything else would work and you'll be able to get a ride instantly, right? And formed a company called Groundlink. It started as Limo Res and it was Groundlink. And, and we were basically five years before Uber. We were the first, first app in the App Store and first app on BlackBerry and first app on Android that allowed you on-demand transportation. But our mantra was happy drivers equals happy customers. Our job is to make the drivers earn more money. And Uber came and said, no, this is all about subsidizing the rides to the yuppies we don't care that 3 million drivers are going to make half of what they used to make. We want them to earn as little as possible. As long as we make 100 million yeah, uh, uh, middle-class people around the world happy and we burn $14 million in subsidies, $14 billion in subsidies, the company is going to do exceptionally well. So my vision failed, even though I tried to do good before I did well. Right? It failed because the consumers said, I don't care that you're doing good for the drivers. I'm just going to go and work with this other company because they're subsidizing my ride. And you're just trying to do good for drivers. Who cares about the drivers? So your vision is not always, uh, even if your vision is perfectly right, you know, I think a lot of people right now are not happy with Uber or how Uber is treating their drivers or especially in California, right? I mean, there's a whole debate about are these employees or not? Are they being paid less than minimum wage? So this is exactly the problem that we try to solve while providing exceptional service to the customer. So what Celsius does is a similar thing where we pit the banks against the seven and a half billion people that live on this planet. And we say, okay, the value that is extracted from people's money, from people's deposits, should it go to the shareholders of the banks or should it go back to society as interest income? That is the ultimate question that we're asking. And obviously Celsius is saying, no, 80% of that profit should go back to the depositor and the banks and the financial institutions say, no, 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 99% of that profit should go to the shareholders. How much are you getting paid as interest income on your account, in your checking account? Wow. Almost zero. 
right? Yes. Zero. So these, are all, these are all simple questions, and they have simple answers, but sometimes the right answer falls exactly on the opposite side of what you think is the right answer. So it's not as easy as it looks. No, of course not. And speaking of making it look easy, is do you think that having the gift of vision is a gift, or can it be learned? Well, for, sometimes it's a punishment, like uh, when Uber basically completely decimated us, even though we were five years ahead of them. And even today, Groundlink services more cities than Uber, right? But they have, uh, you know, 100 million customers and 3 million drivers. So they won the, the battle, and that is devastating. Like, I can tell you that no matter how good of an entrepreneur you are, uh, that takes and shreds your ego down to, to nothing. You know, so the fact that you created Voice of IP is completely irrelevant to the fact that your last venture, you lost uh, the battle and the war, you know, so it's, can it be learned? Of course, anything can be learned, but look, it's a gut feeling. This is not, I don't go and do uh, a year worth of research. I know instinctively that something is the right thing. Like when Daniel and I created Celsius Network, I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to debate or go and talk to other people or think, you know, what is the right business model? If we don't believe in capitalism the way it is, but we also don't believe in nonprofit the way it is, can we create something, not necessarily in the middle, it's almost nonprofit that is acting in the best interest of most people, right? Is that something, that is an easy statement. Like Almost every business should be that way. And if you look at Costco and Amazon or whatever, they operate at right on that edge. They're almost a nonprofit, right? They give almost everything back to their customers. Some of the most successful companies on the planet are already there. And we just decided to do that for the financial sector. And in the financial sector, who goes to work in the financial sector? It's not the people who are trying to make the world a better price. It's mostly the people who are trying to become the richest people on the planet. They want to hoard as many assets as possible and make it to the Forbes 400 list. Fascinating. This is the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today. To finish, yeah, to finish on this thought. So Please. A person, if your nature is to share, are you a taker? You have to decide, are you a taker or you're a giver, right? And you cannot behave as a, giver if you're a taker you're just not going to be successful so there's simple things that you can really look in the mirror and be straight with yourself because i'm not saying in any way that again being a banker working for goldman sachs is a bad thing if you're a taker and that's your nature and that's what you do better than anyone else you should go and work for goldman sachs and you should do the best you can to become the richest person on the planet that's who you are right i, I all i'm saying is, is that you cannot fight your nature you cannot pretend to be something else and most of the people I know who are really not happy with themselves are people who don't look at themselves in the mirror, don't want to face reality. They're hiding either because family pressure or society pressures or they got on the wrong track when they were teens and they had to choose what they're going to do going forward and they happen to study the wrong thing in college or whatever and they're not finding their north or, their, or what they should be doing for a living. I'll touch on that cannot fight your nature and the the giver or taker you're either one or the other or it's hard to be a giver if you're just a taker did that happen for you at an early age to where you came to to that realization 
Yeah, well, I came to the realization that I'm a giver, right? And uh, it was very hard for me. You know, I came to New York as an immigrant and, you know, it's a very rough society here, environment where there's no even, even crumbs left on the table. If you leave crumbs on the table, people look at you and go like, what are you doing? Are you stupid? Don't you understand that you can take the crumbs as well? So, so it was very hard for me to adjust to this environment. You know, my wife sometimes looks at me and says, are you stupid? Why, why are you giving this money away? You know? So it's, um, you know, being 100% uh, giver is not good either, right? You have, to, sure. you have to find the right balance where, again, even for yourself, you have to do good and do well because if you don't have the resources, right, if you're giving everything away, then uh, you're not going to be successful either. So not even not even successful in delivering on your life goals, right? So people have to ask themselves, like, is the guy that dies with the most toys or the gal that dies with the most dollars is the winner, right? Or is the person that did the most for others or has given the most to others the winner, right? These are simple questions that every person can ask themselves. And it's great if you're asking yourself these questions when you're 18 because it's not so good when you're asking these questions when you're 70, right? So my point is just, if you don't know the answers, then explore, explore those issues. And you will find very quickly that your, your inner being will tell you very quickly, your, your soul will talk to you and will tell you very quickly what you should be. Excellent. You know, there's a, uh, I don't remember which um, rabbi had shared this before, but I remember the, the prayer. And I asked you at the beginning a mantra, quote, or prayer that you, you somewhat live by. And mine is this, is that I offer it to either people directly or indirectly, is may you experience never-ending fulfillment and a, a joy-filled existence. Yes. I, I can't, I can't recall great. who said yeah. it, but that's how I move through this world. As you can tell, uh, you know, to me, God matters a lot. And I know we're at Stanford and the ash is shit. But I, it, no, it, it really, it's like, uh, that's, I'm nothing without, uh, I am. And uh, obviously it moves you. And I found that the giver, what's interesting is that giver soul set. I don't know if that's a word. The soul set of being a giver actually returns most exponentially back. It's an yes. interesting dichotomy. What's your thought on that? I, I totally agree. I think. When you do good, like I, I sent an email about this uh, yesterday to my team. I said that because we had some adversity from the outside, some people were, you know, like trying, we call it FUD, creating fear, uncertainty, and doubt about some of the stuff we were doing. And I said, look, and then everything, all the clouds cleared, like overnight, right? And uh, this huge customer showed up and gave us like a huge amount of business, right? And I said, look, the more people try to put clouds over your head, if you're doing the right things, magically you will see that, that angels will appear and, and clear all of that uncertainty and doubt. And, and it's just unbelievable. Like, again, I'm not, look, I'm not a religious person. It's not like I go and pray every day or whatever. But I do believe in, you know, I'm agnostic. I believe there's a higher power. Most of us don't even know how to communicate with it or connect with it. But it's part of all of us, right? It's there. We don't understand what it is or how it is or whatever. We created all kind of solutions, alternatives to what that is, right? In the form of uh, Judaism or, or uh, you know, whatever beliefs are Islam or whatever you yeah. believe in, exactly, yeah. or, or being Catholic or whatever. So no one knows what's right and what's wrong. But the point is, is that there's definitely, when you do the right things, you definitely get the benefit in, in ways that you cannot expect. And on the uh, on the right things, how do you express to your children? 
to give them that not just that drive and determination, but even that sense of gratitude for life itself. Yes. Yeah, so, so again, I, I grew up with, uh, you know, my parents were immigrants as well. They came from the Ukraine to Israel, right? So, so we grew up poor. Then we kind of, my dad uh, did better and we joined the middle class. And, but we came there with nothing, right, to, to Israel, nothing. And so, uh, so for me, scarcity is something that, you know, is like I face every day, right? I have my kids, I have six kids and they, they don't know what scarcity means, right? So they think everybody gets to do like uh, go to summer camp and fly all over the world and buy whatever they want and, and so on. So, so it's definitely, it's much, much more difficult with current generation to, to make them either appreciate or uh, be hungry for either the success or the, or the passion of finding something that you really want to dedicate your life to. So, so also look, kids are, they're born what they are. I don't think you can basically, maybe you can shave the edges and make them not as sharp, but it is what it is, you know, and uh, you can't, I don't see the job of a parent to instill the, your principles in them and force them to do whatever you want them to do, right? Your job is to be a coach. You have to be there side by side and hopefully they'll listen to some of your advice because in their teens, they definitely don't listen to anything. So hopefully before they got to be 14 or 15, you got enough in there. And then when they turn 20 something, they start to realize, oh, you know, my dad was telling me maybe actually some of it is true. So let me listen a little bit more. Let me call him at least twice a week and see what he's thinking about. Or can he help me with some ideas? And then I'll ask him for money. So, Alex, we're going to close out here soon. What would you like to share with your audience today that we may not have touched on? That you... Look, we live in amazing times. Again, there's more data and information being created every year than in all of history, right? I mean, it's just crazy, crazy levels of digitization, automation, innovation. So when you're a young person and you're worried about the future or you're worried about your career or you're worried about, oh, I'm not as techy as some of these other guys, that means nothing. Again, it's it's... There's never been more opportunities than, than there are today, right? Because uh, the world, we are discovering new things every day, right? We're learning new things every day. And so I think, you know, the pandemic, the recession, all these things are actually opportunities. The opportunities, like I, I think Stanford is probably closed for the year, right? I mean, you're not yes. reopening. Yes. And this is an opportunity for people to take a year off or at least a semester off and explore other things. Really, again, look into yourself, learn about yourself and make sure that you are going in the right path. Because normally you'd be running as fast as you can inside that production line that somebody else put you on. And now you have the opportunity to really look at yourself almost like exit your body. Your soul can exit your body, look at you and decide if you want to change anything. So... So these are all things that uh, we don't find the time to do. And the pandemic, I think, is, is a rare opportunity to allow people to really examine their future, examine their career, examine their life, and find a higher purpose. I love that. Alex, it's an absolute honor and pleasure talking with you. Boys, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Really Thanks for having me. And, and I always joke, uh, you know, uh, Harvard did a business case on Arbonet. And when I taught the class, I was saying, look, you'll never accept me as a student, but at least I get to teach you 
to uh, the business case. So here, Stanford, one of the best schools in the world. Uh, I would have loved to be a student there. I didn't get to. Uh, but every one of your students should feel uh, privileged for being in that place, magical place called Stanford University. So thanks for having me. Thank you, Alex. That's very, uh, very kind of you to say that as well. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast. Our guest today has been Alex Mashinsky. Alex is an entrepreneur who has founded several notable technology firms in the United States. He founded Arbinet in 1996 as a commodity exchange for telecommunication companies to trade unused long-distance minutes. Alex's other company, VoiceSmart, was one of the first firms to offer telecommunication switches to handle ordinary voice as well as voice over IP call routing. Alex is the current founder and CEO of Celsius Network. Celsius Network offers customers the ability to earn decent interest on Bitcoin, gold, and other currency, get a cash loan using crypto as collateral, and make payments on the blockchain. For more information, feel free to visit Celsius.network. Again, Celsius.network. Join us again next time when we welcome another purpose-driven entrepreneur or high-performing game changer committed to ideas, positive outcomes, and a better world. I'm Tom Dior. The Entrepreneur's radio show and podcast is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location. The chief audio engineer is Eris Chikopoulos. Chief engineer is Mark Lawrence, and we are all assisted by Peter Caroline and Omar L. Sabrao. And the executive producer and host of The Entrepreneur's Show is Tom Dior. If you wish to contact us, our email is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. 